Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Luke's gospel. We are in Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the entire chapter. It's an incredible chapter of scripture. Uh, We're going to look at the entire chapter this morning, but I want to read to you in just a moment, beginning in verse 11 and down through verse 19. So go ahead and find that in your copy of the Bible, Luke 15, verses 11 through 19. If you're new to the Bible, the gospel of Luke is really easy to find. It's the third gospel in the New Testament. If you can find the New Testament, you can find Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then the gospel of John. And if you did not bring a Bible with you, uh, there will be one in the seat before you down the book rack. Find that copy of God's word. Find Luke 15 with us. And If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 15 is where we are this morning. We're going to read together in just a few moments, verses 11 through 19. If you're new to our church, uh, we love to take books of the Bible, like the Gospel of Luke, and just walk straight through them. And so we've been on this journey through Luke's Gospel since December of last year, and, and at some point, we will get to the end of this Gospel. Can't give you a date when, but we'll get there eventually, but it's good. I mean, I think it's really good that we're taking all of this time just to study the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. We need uh, to be very familiar with the gospels. And I'm thankful that we're taking this journey through Luke's gospel. So we're in Luke 15 verses 11 through 19 this morning. Uh, so I don't know if you um, are a frequent traveler or not. I'm a, I guess a somewhat frequent traveler. I mean, I tend to take an international trip, whether it's a missions trip or a trip to, uh, to the Holy Land on tour groups, you know, once a year or so. And, and so I've traveled quite a bit over the past um, 20 years of ministry and very thankful for those opportunities. So, so I remember, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, taking a trip uh, to Russia and was on that, that long international flight. And, and I was sitting in the middle section of one of those really wide airplanes. You know how those middle sections, you have four seats uh, in the middle and then the three on this side and three on this side. And so I was right in the middle of the airplane. And, and as I was sitting there, lady came back and sat down one seat over from me. And she was, she was, she was a Russian lady. So I, I couldn't, uh, communicate very well with her. I know some Russian, but not a whole lot. So we didn't have much of a conversation during the flight, but between us in the seat between us, she put her dog she bought a ticket for a dog. And so her dog was in the cage and that was fine. Uh, I know people do that. And I was just concerned like a 10, 11 hour flight, like what this dog has to use the bathroom. And apparently it didn't, which I'm glad. So anyway, I tell you all that to tell you, I read a story this week about um, people boarding a plane in Bangkok, 
to Taiwan. And so they're on this flight, and I don't know how long of a flight it is from Bangkok to Taiwan. I'm sure it's several hours long. And, and, and as they're on this flight, um, something runs up and down the aisle, a rat. You know, nobody likes it when a rat is on an airplane. So you can imagine the commotion. If you saw a rat running up and down the aisles, uh, you, you would be a little bit disturbed, right? So this rat's running up and down the aisles. But then, 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 not only does a rat run up and down the aisles, a few moments later, this is really wild, an otter. Because otters always take flights. An otter runs up and down the aisle. So the, the flight attendants are trying to, to capture these critters that have gotten loose on the aircraft. They catch the rat. The rat bites one of the flight attendants. Somebody catches the otter. And, and finally, they find out that this lady had actually smuggled them on board. Now, how she got through security and all that kind of stuff with a rat and an otter in her, in her backpack, I have no idea, but she did. And so, so, so the, the lady fessed up that bringing, this is a true story. The lady fessed up to bringing them on the aircraft. And, and then after she fessed up, uh, she accused them of mistreating her pets. And so she demanded a refund for her ticket. Well, needless to say, she did not get a refund. She got something else instead. She got a $31,000 fine for bringing her critters on board. That's a pretty hefty fine, right? And so I imagine, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I imagine at some point she's going to look back on that incident and say, man, that was a waste of $31,000, right? I tell you that story to, to tell you this. I bet you there are some of you in this room that look back over the course of your life and you say, man, that was a waste, it may have been for you a financial decision. You blew some money on something. I mean, that was a waste. It may be an issue of time. You spent your time somewhere and you wish you'd have spent that time differently. And you look back now and you say, man, that was such a waste. I bet you every one of us in this room, we can look back over the course of our lives and say, we wasted something. Now, now here's what's, what's sad and tragic. There may be some of us in this room this morning that are here in this place and we look back on our lives and we may say something something like this, man, I have wasted my life. You ever feel that way? I know some of us do. Some of us have felt that way because we look back and we think about the decisions we've made and, and, and maybe it seems like as you look back over your life, it's just one sin and, and failure piled on top of another and it's left you just in this really bad place. You've, you just haven't made a lot of wise choices and you look back and you think, man, I've wasted my life. If you feel like you've wasted your life, man, I think this passage is going to bless you this morning. Now we're in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, uh, this chapter contains, I think one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. This is probably on the top five list or top 10 list of, of most famous stories in the Bible. And, and if you just happen to be here this morning and, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you just stumbled in the door this morning. You've never been to a church before. This is your first time ever in a church. It's likely, even if it's the first time you've ever been in a church, that somewhere along the way, you've heard 
heard this story we're looking at this morning. And this story is so encouraging, especially if you're one who feels like you've wasted your life. Because if you feel like this morning, you've wasted your life, there's something about God's love I want you to know that I think is going to encourage you. In fact, as we look at this very familiar story of the story that we we typically call the story, the prodigal son, uh, what I want to share from this passage are just two truths about the love of God that are going to encourage you if you feel like this morning you're that kind of person that's wasted his life or wasted her life. And so take your Bibles, look with me, if you will, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. We're going to read through verse 19. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, uh, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for time that we have together now in your word. And Father, I pray that if there are those among us in this room this morning that feel like we've made, that we've wasted our lives on sinful, poor choices, I pray this morning that your word would encourage us, that we would be reminded of the Father's love for us. So Father, right now, would you help us? As we listen to your word, we trust you're speaking to us. Would you help us this morning to respond to your word in faith and obedience, I ask. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So this is, this is, this is again, one of the, the, the top five most famous stories in the Bible, top 10, whatever the case may be. It's a story that you are probably very familiar with. And, and you might know this too, that when Jesus tells this story, the story that we call the story of the prodigal son, it's actually in a series of stories. There, there are three parables in Luke chapter 15. And, and, and let me show you why Jesus tells these three stories. Come back up to chapter 15, verse one. The Bible says this, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What's wrong with him, right? I mean, so you you think about it. Jesus, he claims to be the son of God. He claims to be the Messiah. And if Jesus is really the Messiah, if he's really the son of God, why would he waste all his time on people like these tax collectors and sinners. And the fact that Jesus keeps spending time with people like the tax collectors and sinners, it drives the Pharisees crazy. And so they're complaining. What's the deal here, Jesus? Why, why are you always spending time with these? Don't you know what these people are like? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know their mistakes? These are people who have wasted their lives and yet you're going to choose to spend time with them? And so in response to the complaining and the anger and the bitterness of the Pharisees, Jesus tells three stories. Now, what all these stories have in common, all these stories have in common is the reality that something is lost and then it is found. And when it is found, there's a celebration. 
That's what's in common with all three of these stories. Something's lost, then it's found. And when it's found, there's a celebration. Now you are probably familiar with all three of these stories. The first story is a story about a shepherd who loses a sheep. He's got a hundred sheep. And Jesus tells a story. If a, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one, isn't he going to, because sheep are valuable after all, isn't he going to leave the 99 to find the one? And when he finds that one, isn't there going to be rejoicing? And, and Jesus is the great shepherd, shepherd who's come to seek and save the lost. And look at what the text says. You come to verse seven. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Or you come to the next story. He tells a story about a woman. A woman who has, has 10 coins and she loses one of her coins. I mean, she still has nine left, but when she loses that silver coin, uh, she goes on a cleaning spree in her home. She, she's pulling out the couch cushions. She's doing everything she can to find that one coin. And when she finds it, she calls all her friends on the phone. Now I know they didn't have phones, but just play along with me. She calls all of her friends on the phone. I found my coin. Come on over. Let's celebrate. Let's party. I found my coin. And Jesus says, look at what it says. I tell you, verse 10. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So you see how it's working here in these stories. Something's lost and then it's found. And when it's found, there's rejoicing. And now Jesus tells this third story, this third story that is so familiar to us. He says, there's a father who has two sons. Stage is set. And Jesus, you know this about Jesus. He's a master storyteller. I mean, no one tells a story quite like Jesus. And when Jesus begins to tell this story that we're so familiar with, everybody there, they're leaning in real close. They're, they're wondering what Jesus is going to say in this parable. And you know what a parable is? We've talked about this. This parable is a story that, that Jesus makes up to, to prove a spiritual point. And so Jesus is telling this story, this parable, a father with two sons and this younger son, I mean, he's been around a while now and, 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 and he knows that he knows daddy's rich and he knows that someday he's going to receive an inheritance when dad dies. Now, in those days, this would have been how it worked. That the reality is, is that the older son would have received the larger portion of the inheritance because the older son, once the dad died, he would become the patriarch of the family. He'd become the leader of the family, responsible for the family. And so he would receive the lion's share of the inheritance, about two thirds of the inheritance. And that younger son would receive a third. But this father, he's wealthy. So even if this younger son receives a third of the inheritance, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of money. And so I, I know you probably know this too. In those days, wealth wasn't measured necessarily by the money you had in the bank. Wealth was measured by the land you owned. And so for, for you know, a son to cash out that inheritance, a dad would have to liquidate the property. Now, this is a wild story because what the son does is the son, the younger son, he comes to the father. You know the story. He says, dad, would you, I mean, would you give me my, my share of the inheritance? Now that is a bold request, isn't it? Because essentially what the son is saying, and you know what he's saying, like, I know I'm supposed to get this when you're dead, but you ain't dead. And, and, and I don't know when it's going to be that you die. Maybe it's going to be a long time. I don't know when you're going to die, but I'd like to receive my inheritance now. I mean, can you imagine parents, your kids coming and say that? I mean, I mean, mom, dad, would you just go ahead and cash it out? I mean, you just won't die. And I, and I just want some money, you know, but this is what this son does. It's a bold request. Now at that point, 
If you were in the audience, now think about this. You've heard this story probably a million times, but that original audience, they've never heard this story before. Jesus is telling this story for the first time and and tax collectors and sinners are there and, and Pharisees are there. And I promise you, this is probably what happened. As soon as Jesus begins to tell this story and he talks about this son making this bold request, Everyone, tax collector, sinner, Pharisee, they probably all audibly gasped in disbelief. Like this doesn't happen. A son doesn't come to his father and say, dad, would you give me my share of the inheritance? I mean, this son should be cut off from the family. Uh, This son should be, you know, put to shame. I mean, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. And so everybody in the audience, I mean, you you could probably audibly hear this gasp of disbelief. But as Jesus tells a story, the father acquiesces to the son's request. He liquidates his assets and he he gives this younger son money, wealth. And you know how the story goes. Uh, The text says that this son, now that he has all this money they got from his dad, he goes off to a distant country. Now, Jesus, he is so strategic in the way that he tells stories. He's, he, he's such a master at this. And, and, and it's, it's as if Jesus is telling this audience when he tells this story, this son, he did what? He got as far away from home as possible. He got as far away from his father as possible, out of sight, out of mind, so he could finally live the way that he wanted to live. And what the text tells us is that this son, this young son, as he's out in this faraway country, he spends it all. And not spends it all investing or spends it all in trying to build a business or anything like that. The Bible tells us he spends it all how? He spends it all on foolish living. It doesn't take him long. I mean, it just takes a verse or two, right? It doesn't take him long until he's out. Like he's spent it all, it's all gone. And then just to make matters worse, as Jesus tells us story, he talks about this famine comes on the land. I mean, it's not like he can go out to the fields and, you know, and pick some grain. There's nothing. He's got no money. He's got no cash. He's got no food. And so, so oh man, you can imagine the, the story and, and being in that original audience because what came next in the story, again, the original audience, those, those Jewish people that were there, those tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees, again, they would have audibly gasped when Jesus told this next part of the story. This son who was so wealthy, When he was back home, he had everything with his father. He now had to get a job feeding pigs. Now, let me tell you why that's such a bad job because you probably know this. In in those days, in that culture, in, in that Jewish culture in the first century, pigs were what? They were an unclean animal. Like this is the worst job imaginable. But, 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 but it gets even worse, doesn't it? Because, because he's there and he's, he's feeding pigs and he just wants to eat the pig food. Uh, but the, the, the guy that hired him won't even let him eat the pig food. I mean, it, it can't get any worse than it is for this son. And the reality is, Jesus could have stopped the story right there and no one would have been surprised. In fact, if if Jesus would have stopped the story right there, the Pharisees, you know what they had done? They'd have held their head high high, and they would have said in their pride, that's right. Amen, Jesus. He got what he deserved. I mean, think about how he treated his father. That's what happens when you treat your father that way, you get what you deserve. That's right. And even the tax collectors and the sinners, they they would have said, yeah, we get it. 
they probably would have hung their heads in shame a bit because some of them were like that son, wasteful. But they got it, yeah. He got what he deserved. Jesus could have stopped the story right there. And everyone in the audience would have agreed, yep, that's unfortunate, but he got what he deserved. But you know it. Jesus doesn't stop the story right there. That The story takes this unexpected twist that I promise you, again, you've heard the story a million times, you know it. But this, this audience, this was the first time they heard it. And when this twist begins to take place in the story, man, it was unexpected. No one expected the story to take this kind of turn. Look at what it says. It says down in, in verse, um, verse 17, when he came to his senses, He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. You know the story. Like, this is terrible. The boy comes to his senses. I'm gonna go home. Now, I know my father. I mean, I've offended him. I I, I, I essentially said to my dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I mean, I know I'm a terrible son, but there are servants in my father's house who eat better than I do. Maybe if I just go home, my dad will let me be a servant and maybe I can repay the debt I owe. Maybe I can kind of work it off. Maybe I can work, work, just work in my dad's house. And so he begins to make the journey home, just hoping that his dad would allow him the opportunity to work in the fields. But look what happens. Oh, it's so good. So he got up, verse 20, and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Now, put yourself, parents, put yourself in the the position of that father. To have a son or daughter leave home. I mean, this was the day in the days before cell phones and GPS and everything else. He had no idea. What his son had done, had no idea where his son had gone. And we don't know because Jesus, I mean, he's just making up the story, but just you think about it. We don't know how how long the son had been away. And and you can imagine the sleepless nights that this father must have been through, the agony of knowing that his son was out there somewhere. But notice what the text does not say. I mean, the father, he sees his son in the distance and the text does not say that when he saw his son in the distance, in his heart, anger swelled up. I mean, he probably should have been angry to think about how this son had dishonored him, how this son had, had insulted him. It doesn't say in the text that this father, when he saw the son far off, that he had bitterness in his heart. I mean, you would think about it. If this son had been gone for months on end, man, yeah, I, bitter. Look at what he's done. What does it say though? When he saw his son from afar off, he had compassion. Compassion began to fill his heart. And, and, and now, come on, now nobody's expecting this in the story because this wouldn't have happened. A, a father of this much wealth would have been a man of much influence and a, a man that was probably known in this culture. And, and so a father of this much influence and wealth, what he would not do would be to run to his son. That's very undignified 
But this father, he sees his son far off in the distance. And the father, what does he do? He runs to his son. Now the son has a plan. The son's going to tell the father, I'm, I messed up and will you give me a job? But look what happens. This father runs to the son and the son says, um, verse 23, 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which was a true statement. He wasn't worthy to be called his son, but look at what the father does. You come to verse 22. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate because the son of mine was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. So began to celebrate. You see what the father does. I mean, this is amazing that the father puts on the son his best robe. In all likelihood, that phrase, his best robe, it probably refers to the father's own robe. That this father is clothing his son in his very own robe. He's putting a ring on his finger. That ring probably had the family seal on it. A way of saying, he's back. He's in the family. This is my son, right? And, and, and you know this, you've, you've probably heard a preacher like me talk about this for, before to, to kill the fattened cow. I mean, in that culture, you think about it, um, meat was a luxury. You, you, um, unfortunately, you just didn't have meat every meal. That would be horrible, I know, but they didn't have meat every meal. And, 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 and on this occasion, to kill a fattened calf, you know this, that in those days, you saved an animal like that for what? A wedding a real celebration. But now this prodigal, if you will, he's come home and this dad clothes him in a robe, puts a ring on his finger and kills the fattened calf. My son was dead and now is live. What was lost is found. Let's celebrate. Three stories, something's lost and then it's found. And then there's a celebration. And, and, and on that day, if you'd have been there in that original audience, I mean, you're listening intently to this story and, and you can't believe this story that Jesus is telling. Now imagine that, that if you were there on that day and you were a tax collector or a sinner, this question was running through your mind. Does God really love me like that? And then if you were a Pharisee or a religious leader, the question was going through your mind, is Jesus nuts? Like, really? This is not the way it works. Like, this would never happen. This is obviously a make-believe story because this kind of stuff doesn't happen. But you and I in this room, 2,000 years later, you and I know this kind of stuff happens because you were no different than that younger son. There was a point in your life that you were rebellious, running away from God in your own distant land, full of sin. You were in the pigsty, if you will. And then the heavenly father came for you. He rescued you. He made you alive through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He gave you his robe. He put his ring on your finger. You've been made new. You've went through from death to life because of the father's love for you. You see, I know it. You know it. Every one of us in this room, in a sense, we've lived a wasteful life, but our father looks at our waste and does not condemn us. Our father instead looks at us with love and compassion and forgives us by his grace, by giving his son, Jesus, for us. You see what I'm saying? We have a God who is extravagant in the way that he 
loves us. I just want you to think about this truth, right? God loves you, even if you have lived an outwardly wasteful life. And so I just want you to stop right there and just think about this, right? Is this your perception of God? Do you understand that this is who God is? God is the kind of father that's presented to us in this story, a father who loves us. My, my parents were here uh, this weekend. Uh, they came down on Thursday to watch Luke's baseball game. We, they were with us Friday, went back yesterday and we were in the car heading somewhere on, on Friday and all of us were in, in the car together and, and my dad was telling stories about his youth and uh, he was talking about his time in, in, in the military and he was talking about a friend he had in the military that he was really close with and, and once my dad and his friend got out of the military, they stayed in touch and, and, and when I was really, really little as a young kid, my dad's buddy came to see him all the way from Texas uh, to Augusta to visit with my, my parents for a week. And, and this buddy of his who came to see my dad, he rode a motorcycle to see my dad all the way from Texas to Augusta. That's a long ride. I, I mean, I, I haven't ridden many motorcycles in my life, but from Texas to Augusta on a motorcycle, that's a long ride, right? And, and, and as dad was telling that story, uh, my youngest son Hudson, he said to me, he said, daddy, you would be the coolest dad ever if you rode a motorcycle to which I thought I already was the coolest dad ever, but apparently not. But all that to say, right? Like my, my, my son in that moment had a perception of what a cool dad looked like. And a cool dad wasn't me in that moment. A cool dad was a dad who rode a motorcycle, right? Like he had a perception of what a cool father looked like. I think Jesus is telling us this story in part so that you and I might have the right perception of who God is. He is a loving Father. And, and if that's true, now watch this. If, if you believe this, if you believe God loves you, even if you have lived an outwardly wasteful life, you need to know that in a relationship with God, there is, this is so helpful, no shame to feel. Because here's what's happened. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what's the Bible tell you? That Jesus has cast your sin as far as the East is from the West. Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus treats you, your heavenly father treats you as if he has forgotten all of your sins as he remembers them no more. What God does not do is he does not continually slap you in your face with your sin. You understand what I'm saying? Like he's not out to guilt you or to shame you or to say to you, I can't believe you did all that. I can't believe you lived that way. No, he graciously forgives you and treats you as if it never happened. Now, here's the problem. That's a theological reality. But you and I live as if it's not. Because some of us can't get past our shame and guilt. You see what I'm saying? Like we live in a constant state of shame. Like, I can't believe I did that. Like God can never use someone like me. God can never love someone like me. God can never, you know, do a work in my life because of who I am and what I did. And so what happens then, because you carry around that shame and guilt, you never progress in your walk with the Lord because you don't believe that, that, that you're worthy of walking with the Lord because of all the things you've done. And I get that, but, or, or, or you stay in your sin. You just, you just, you know, lay down in it because you don't believe that God could forgive you of all the things you've done. So why even bother? 
But that's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is God loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus for you who died and rose again for you to free you from your sin. And now God treats you as if it did not happen. It's done. And so you can let go of that shame and guilt because God does not hold that over your head. Or think about this, right? There's no punishment for you to suffer. That was taken care of at the cross. At the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus died the death that you deserve. He died in your place. He took on the punishment that was coming after you. He died, then rose again victoriously. You see, I think for some of us, we we have this mindset of, of every bad thing that happens in my life must be because God is punishing me for past things I did. And that's just not true. Your bad day isn't because God's punishing you because of something you did. Now, I'm not saying there aren't consequences for your sins. You do stupid stuff, there's gonna be consequences. I get that, right? But I don't want you to think that God is punishing you because of your sin, because your punishment was taken care of. And so all your trials and struggles, you can't look back and say, well, the reason why I'm going through this hard time is because I did this thing and now God is just punishing me all the time. That's not the way that it works, right? You go through trials and struggles sometimes because God is refining you. And sometimes you will go through the consequences of your sins, but God even uses those consequences to draw you back to his grace. You see what I'm saying? So, so there's no shame to feel in a relationship with God. There's no punishment to suffer because that's been taken care of. And there's no debt to repay. That's what, that was his younger son's plan, wasn't it? I'm gonna repay this debt. I'm gonna go be a servant, but you can't. It's impossible for you to repay your debt to the God of all creation. Jesus did that for you. You see what I'm saying? And so sometimes we have this mentality of if I, if I go to church enough or if I serve enough, then somehow that will repay the debt I owe to God. No, no, it doesn't. The debt has been paid. That was the cross. The cross is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. Romans 5, 8, God loved us in this way that while we were yet sinners in a far off country, Jesus died for us. You see what I'm saying? If you've lived an outwardly wasteful life, God loves you. And today you can come home. You can come back to the family. But, but this story is nowhere near over. I know you're looking at your watch thinking I should be over, but just bear with me, right? Because this story isn't a story about one son is a story about two sons. Now in the context, think about it this way too, right? Like this story, all three of these stories are really directed not to the tax collectors and sinners. Now they're hearing the stories, but these three stories are really directed towards the Pharisees. And the Pharisees weren't guilty necessarily of living an outwardly wasteful life. They looked like they had their act together. What they were guilty of was living an inwardly wasteful life. But Jesus is about to blow their minds. Look at what goes on in the text. And so Jesus tells this story about the young son. And and again, the story continues to take twists and turns that no one would expect. Come to verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. Underline that phrase, in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, at first glance, it seems like the younger son and older son couldn't be any more different. 
I mean, one's wasting his life away partying while the other one's at home with dad in the fields. But, but if you think about it, these two sons, they're really quite a bit alike. And I think Jesus does this very intentionally. The one son, he goes where? To a far away country, as far away from his father as possible. Now, when the son comes back and they're celebrating, where's the older son? He's out in the field. Now, that sounds really noble, doesn't it? Like he's out working and doing what he's supposed to do. But where is this older son not? The same place that the younger son was not, near the father. Like he has to, he hears it in the distance. He doesn't even know that his younger brother's come home. He has to make the journey back to the house to, to see what's going on. You see what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't even know because he's not near his father. The older son nor the younger son, neither one of them were near the father. And you come down, look at what it says. Verse 28, he became angry. Notice that this older son, he's not like his father either. He's not near his father and he's not like his father. Because the, the father, when he sees the younger son coming down the road a long way off, he is filled with compassion. But this older son, when he hears that his brother has come home, he's not filled with compassion. He's certainly not filled with rejoicing. He's filled with anger. He became angry and didn't want to go in. Now, this is so good. Look at verse 28. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Do you see it? The father loved the younger son. The father loved the older son too. In fact, in both scenarios, the father did what? Came out. The father went to the younger son. And now here in this verse, the father goes to the older son. But the older son replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders that you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother, does he? When the son of yours who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You hear it in this older brother's voice, the anger, dad, what's going on? You know what he did? You, you know where he was and you gave him a goat or a fattened calf? Like all I want's a goat. Like I've been here, I haven't left you. I mean, I've been working for you. I mean, and I can't even get a goat from you. And you know what your son did? Dad, come on now. He was with prostitutes. That's bad. Dad, do you know how bad that is? I mean, he squandered your assets away with prostitutes and you're throwing him a celebration? Where's my celebration? And you see it, don't you? These two sons, on first glance, they look like they're quite a bit different, but they're not. They both live wasteful lives. One is an outwardly wasteful life, but the, the older son, the older brother, his life is what? It is inwardly wasteful because now watch this. God loves you even if you have lived an inwardly wasteful life. Now this older brother, this is what's so interesting about the story. What we know in the story is that the younger son, what does he do? He comes to his senses and comes home. But the story, it really ends with a cliffhanger. We don't know what the response was of the older brother. 
We don't know if he comes to his senses. We don't know if he repents. We don't know if he, he eventually embraces his father's love and his brother. We don't know. It's a cliffhanger. But what we do know is that the father comes to both of them because the father loves both of them. Are you following, following me? That the father, he loves the son, even though the son has lived an inwardly wasteful life. But this son refuses to rejoice. Why does this son refuse to rejoice in his brother coming home? For some of the same reasons you refuse to rejoice in the work that God is doing because you've wasted your life on self-righteousness. So I'm saying, that's the problem with his older brother. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They couldn't celebrate what God was doing because they were so self-righteous. You know what self-righteousness says, don't you? Look at me. I've done it. Look at how good I am. And when you're self-righteous, do you know what you do? You keep score. Look at me in comparison to that brother of mine. He was with prostitutes. I wasn't. I'm better. And you do the same thing sometimes. I do the same thing sometimes. That We all have a tendency to, to be like this older brother. Look at how good I am in comparison to. I haven't done anything like that. And so therefore, right, we start to self-pity because what happens, what happens is we look around and we see that person who, who, who maybe has that lifestyle that is different than ours. They're given to addiction and, and all kinds of sin. And, 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 and it seems like man, they just always seem to catch a break but yet you're living a righteous life or what you think is a righteous life. And it seems like you can never catch a break. And you say things like this, it's not fair. Look at how he lives and look at how, or look at how she lives. And it seems like, man, they just get every advantage in life, even though they do everything wrong. I'm doing all the right things and I just can't get ahead. And this self-pity, God, don't I deserve don't you owe me something? I mean, I've been at church every Sunday. I've got perfect attendance. I serve with the kids. I do this. I mean, God, come on. I've done it. Don't I deserve something? Both lives were wasteful. One outwardly and one inwardly. Now, here's what's really similar about these. And we're, we're gonna be done in, in just a minute. So don't look at your watch yet. Here's what's really similar about these two brothers. They both wanted the same thing. You know what they both wanted? They both wanted the father's stuff. Now, I know they went about getting it in different ways. The younger son, I wish you were dead. Can you give me my inheritance now? The older brother, I've, I've, I've worked here for you all of my life. You owe me, give me. They both wanted the father's stuff. Now watch this. And neither of them wanted the father himself. You follow now, come on. In a room like this, there's a lot of us who want the Father's stuff. That's why you come to church. Because maybe if I come to church enough and maybe if I do enough right things, God will give me the stuff I want. Because what I really want is what? Blessing. Financial blessing, better health, right? Or, or an easier life. And, 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 you know, maybe God can give me those things. I really want God's stuff. God, would you give me those things? And, and come on now, you know this. There's a lot of us in this room, we want God's stuff, but we don't really want God. Not a relationship with him. You know how I know that? Because we don't spend time investing in a relationship with God. Do you follow what I'm saying here? And in this story, you see what the father wants. 
The Father in this story wants the same thing our Heavenly Father wants. Our Heavenly Father wants His children. Our relationship with you. So much so that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die the death that you deserve, to rise from the dead, to bring you into a relationship with Jesus. You see, oftentimes we get it all wrong. Whether it's inwardly wasteful or outwardly wasteful, our goal is the same. We just want the Father's stuff. And along the way, God is just saying to us, I want you and I want you to want me. I want you to be with you. I want to be with you. I mean, this is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a story of the God of all creation who longs to be with his people, who makes a way for that to happen. Do you want him? This elder brother in this story, obviously it is a representation of the Pharisees. Self-righteousness, self-pity, anger, bitterness, not rejoicing in the work that the Messiah is doing. It it represents that, right? The Pharisees are a terrible, now watch this, they're terrible older brothers. Because these Pharisees, they were religious leaders. What they should have been doing was reaching out and ministering to people like the tax collectors and sinners. Instead of condemning Jesus for doing it, that's what they should have been doing. They were a terrible older brothers. But do you know who a good, a really good older brother is? Jesus, right? Think about it. Our heavenly father loved us so much that he sent his son. I don't know if you ever thought about Jesus in this way, but Jesus is your brother. He's your older brother who is willing to do what? Step out of the glories of heaven into this broken earth and come as your older brother to rescue you, to bring you home to the Father. By living the life that you could not live perfect in every way and then going to a cross and dying the death that you deserve, suffering the punishment for your sins that you deserve so that all of your sins could be forgiven and so that you could be brought into a relationship with the Father. Jesus is the older brother that we need. And this morning, as we close our time together, maybe you're in this room and you look at your life and you're thinking, man, it is such a waste. You might feel that way, but it doesn't change the fact that right now God wants you to experience his love. He loves you in spite of your wastefulness and he wants to be with you. And this morning, if you've never done so, you can respond to the good news of the gospel by turning from your sins and placing your faith in the one who died and rose again for you. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And today, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who wants to pray with you today and help you to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you are are a follower of Jesus. You belong to him. You know you belong to him. But when you look at your life, you still sometimes feel like that older brother. There's some self-righteousness in you, right? There's some bitterness in you. There's some scorekeeping in you. You see what I'm saying? There's some self-pity in you. I deserve. And maybe if that's you this morning, it's for you to confess that to God. God, help me to, to love like you do. Help me to rejoice in the things that you rejoice and to not be so self-righteous. Maybe this morning you're a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself somewhat like that younger brother. 
that you know what's right, but you keep running towards sin left and right. The good news is you can always come back home. And even if you're a follower of Jesus who found yourself wayward, maybe right now even God is allowing you to experience the consequences of your sin to bring you back, to draw you back to his grace. I don't know. I don't know how God is at work in your life this morning. But what I want for you today is to know the love of the Father and to walk in that love in such a way that you long just to be with Him. So as we have a time of invitation this morning, you respond to the Spirit of God as He leads you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in your word, for your goodness to us, that you love us. Thank you that you are the Father that we need. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the older brother that we need. And if there's someone in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person will come trusting you as Lord. And for those of us in this room who are followers of yours, help us. Help us to imitate the heart of our Father. Compassion, grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. And help us to walk with you. What a glorious thought to think that what you long for us, relationship with us, to be with us, that you literally sent your son to die in our place, a horrible death, so we can be with you. Help us to not waste the opportunity to live in a relationship with the God of all creation. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived and died and rose again for us. There's one in this room this morning that needs a relationship with you. I pray that person respond in faith and repentance this morning. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise your feet. As we have a time invitation, you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.